I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they've played over the last eight weeks since that kind of post Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Now you're welcome back. We're going to turn to tennis. The French Open is underway. Some big name exits early doors, including Naomi Osaka, who subsequent to her opening round loss suggested her participation at Wimbledon may be in doubt, owing to the absence of world ranking points at Wimbledon. There are no ranking points at Wimbledon, as I'm sure you've seen, uh, owing to the decision by organisers to ban Russian and Belarusian players. ATP uh, responded by removing ranking points as a result. So here is Osaka speaking to the media at large on that point. Not 100% sure if I'm going to go there. Uh, I I would love to go just to get some experience on the grass court, but like at the same time for me, um, it's kind of like, I, I don't want to say pointless, no pun intended, but like, <laughs> like I... I, I, I'm the type of player that gets motivated by like seeing my ranking go up or like you know stuff like that. So I I think the intention was really good, but the execution is kind of all over the place. Very happy to bring in Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. Caitlin, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Might just start on the tennis front first of all. This is not her favorite surface. By a distance, I think we can safely say, never been past the third round at Wimbledon or at Roland Garros. So no huge shock here. Yeah, the natural surface portion of the tennis calendar has never been a place where Naomi has shown in the past. She has four Grand Slams, all of them between the two hardcore surfaces uh, at the Australian Open, at the US Open. So not terribly surprising, but still, frankly, disappointing. How's her form been generally? Not great. Uh, She hasn't played a ton of matches this year. Uh, If I can be candid, she doesn't look happy to be out there particularly or particularly hungry in the sense of, you know, fitness and movement. So, you know, I think for those of us who watch tennis very closely, it's not a shock to see her not wanting to spend a lot of time on the clay and the grass, but it is disappointing. Um, I think that the tennis world is going to miss out on the highest paid female athlete who's seemingly going to sort of not really compete or contend at a, at a giant portion of the calendar. It was this time a year ago, the whole world, not just the tennis world and not just the sports world, but the whole world seemed to be debating her late withdrawal, rather messy withdrawal from the French Open. How would you uh, assess the past 12 months? I know she took a three-month break, for instance, after the US Open, didn't play Wimbledon, came back, played the Olympics, at times looked very vulnerable in her press conferences, I think heckled at Indian Wells this year and was in tears. These are the headline things that, that I see as a more casual tennis fan. You might give us a deeper read into how she's looked to you. Yeah, that's a that's a entirely accurate. And, you know, last year when the French Tennis Federation indicated that it would start citing her uh, for not participating in post-match press conferences. Um, You know, I, as well as a lot of other people, really had her back. People who spent time in the press room, especially at some of these tournaments, not all of them, but some of them, you know, have that sort of old male, pale and stale vibe. It's a lot of older men. They don't exactly know how to talk to a young woman, particularly a young woman of color. They're not always uh, covering tennis as a weekly beat. And so the, the players can get very insensitive or 
sort of frustrating questions that don't feel like they necessarily have to do with their tennis careers. A lot of them are casually sexist or, or certainly condescending. So I have absolutely no problem with her making her her feelings known. And I defended it at the time that this really was a chance for the U.S., for the sort of the press body that covers the sport to do better. That said, you know, part of being a, and I keep going back to the endorsements, Naomi Osaka is making tens, twenties, fifties of millions of dollars every year by being a very public face of our sport. And I do think there's a basic tenant there. There's a basic contract that you have to play. You have to be engaged in the sport. If you're injured or if you're having a mental health issue, by all means, take the time you need, get the help you need. You know, uh, I think everybody deserves that, whether they're a pro or, or somebody, you know, who's, who's an amateur uh, in any sport, get the help you need. That said, um, it is really frustrating to see her not really wanting to compete. And I think those of us who watch the sport really closely haven't seen her really hungry to be out there or excited to be on a tennis court. It's, it's really disappointing because this has never been a more exciting time to be a tennis fan, uh, especially on the WTA side. We have a great new number one in Iga Sviantec. She's won 29 matches in a row. She's contending amongst a group there at the top that's incredibly dazzling. As we speak right now, I'm watching Paula Bedosa, number four in the world, out of Spain, um, who's also a contender for the title. She loves clay. And so you would like to see Naomi Osaka, if not lifting the trophy at the end of these two weeks and certainly contending and sort of looking like she's excited to be out there. I think that's kind of the bare minimum that we should require of our pro athletes. And for those of us who watch the sport, it's really, uh, it's been a disappointing year basically since, since we've seen Naomi make that stand against the French tennis federation a year ago. Caitlin, are there any examples of uh, more egregious questions which linger in your memory? Oh, certainly. I mean, I think Eugenie Bouchard getting asked to twirl on court after uh, a win. Players getting asked uh, about uh, their personal lives. Players being confronted by journalists who don't know whether they've won or lost. There, There's compilations on YouTube of zany, at best, offensive at worst, press, con- uh, press conference questions. And I think there's a really important sort of nuance to be talked about when it comes to the media body that covers tennis. There's broadcasters, obviously, who are commentating from the booth. There's people who are generally more print or digital journalists who are in the media center. And specifically what a lot of players have felt frustrated by, and I felt frustrated by being in these rooms with a lot of the post-match press conferences. That's really a chance that journalists at times ask leading questions, they ask uninformed questions. And again, these aren't necessarily the body of journalists who travel from tournament to tournament. A lot of them are filled with sort of local yokels who might not cover the sport, you know, week in and week out. So there's plenty of examples of it. That said, you know, part of the the dialogue uh, we had at Racket, a really interesting conversation that we convened last summer with Billie Jean King, with Nick Kyrgios, with Naomi Osaka, and with Marty Fish. The conversation ranged from mental health, which Marty Fish has been very, very vocal about talking about having an anxiety disorder and mm. trying to play at the highest levels of the game. And also between Billie, Nick, and Naomi, who all had very different views about what basically the the contract of being a pro athlete is. Billie Jean King created the Women's Tennis Association 49 years ago. And part of that original creation of the tour was this idea that sponsors were going to pay for it and that they needed to promote it. When Billie had a conversation with Nick and, and Naomi about it, Naomi said, it's a privilege to talk to us. That rubbed a lot of people in the room the wrong way. Honestly, myself included to sort of say, listen, it's not a privilege to talk to you if you're part of the the sort of body of players that make up this tour, part of whom is supported by broadcast rights and sponsorships and media coverage. 
that said, everybody, everybody, whether you're in the room, whether you're an athlete, whether you're just a, you know, a, a workaday schmo connecting wires at the back of the, at the back of the house, everybody has a, the right to work in a harassment free zone, sure. a, a, a workplace free of violence and, and assaults, which is sadly another topic that's going on in the tennis world uh, to, to date. Um, and I do think there's a bit of a differentiation that needs to be made between what's an aggressive, hostile workplace, and one is one that comes with uh, the pressures of fame and and money. Mm. And I think coming back to you know the mental health versus sort of um, you know uh, obligations, I think if Naomi Osaka is not feeling up to competing, then she should probably take more time off because what we've seen in the court from her in the last year hasn't been very satisfying. Mm. She did say she was nervous about her return to Roland Garros. She said, when I first came here, I was very worried. Of course, I didn't like how I handled the situation last year, but I was worried there were people that I offended in some way and that I would bump into them. But I think everyone's been really positive for the most part. So it does seem like she was on the receiving end of a warm welcome. Has there been a difference over the last 12 months in how Osaka is treated at press conferences. I want to play a clip, for instance, maybe just to set a context. This was in August 2021 on her return, in effect, from a period away from the game. And I would say that the questioner here is doing everything in her power to uh, not be in any way provocative or upsetting. But equally, I think doing her job, which is to try and be in some way probing and ask a question. I mean, what is the point in doing this otherwise? So uh, you can see here just how vulnerable Osaka is. Just have a listen something I needed to do for myself um, and more than anything like I felt like I holed up in my house for a couple weeks and I was a little bit embarrassed to go out because I didn't know if people were looking at me in a different way um, than they usually did before but I think the biggest eye-opener was going to the Olympics and having other athletes come up to me and say that they were really glad that I did what I did so um, after all that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what I did, and I think that it was something that needed to be done. Yeah. Hopefully it's okay if I ask a couple of tennis questions. Um, the first one is just uh, uh, how the training has been and how your preparation has been for the, for the summer hardcore swing. And the second one is just related to your tweet over the weekend uh, related to what's going on in Haiti. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, just what your reaction is to the news there. Thank you. Um, Sorry. no, you're super good. Okay, I think we're just going to take a quick break. Just, uh, we'll be back in one moment. So that was August in 2021. There must be a real degree of nervousness around asking Osaka anything. Yeah, and it's interesting because the voice of the person in the clip that you just played was Courtney Nguyen, who's technically an employee of the Women's Tennis Association. So in some cases, they're not uh, necessarily going to journalists in these press rooms. I think they've they've been very cautious to fill out some of the rooms with, I don't want to call them insiders, but allies maybe. Um you know, and I think uh, I think as we can hear in Naomi Osaka's voice, there she's very fragile. Uh, you know, obviously that audio came right after a loss at a tournament that she had been extremely hyped up for. And you know, I used to think about this when I would watch Serena in her quest for twenty four. 
grand slams, the pressure that was put on her on the court was not aided by the fact that she had been in every single commercial between every single break in televised play and was decorating billboards all over the land. You know, it, it's it's a push and pull with this sort of stuff. And I think, um, you know, there has to be the ability for journalists to do their job. I think it's a fair thing to expect that a player be able to discuss uh, what's going on, uh, certainly on the court. Um, and if it doesn't pertain to their tennis in a way that they're comfortable with, they're happy to pass. Sloane Stevens is a great example of somebody who just says, no, thanks, next, and moves forward. Yeah. I do think yeah. that is sort of a basic job requirement. And I think, you know, the difference that you alluded to is twofold. Number one, there has been a large shift in the uh, French Tennis Federation's leadership to put Amélie Moresmo, uh, the former French champion, who uh, is uh, younger by most of her, younger than most of the contemporaries who have the similar position at the other Grand Slams, and made a very, very vocal and overt point to not only greet the players on the women's side with extra care, but also specifically in Naomi Osaka. So I think that is a departure, I would imagine, from what Guy mm-hmm. Forget, who had the role before, uh, uh, his approach was. Additionally, and this is this is more speaking to the fact that I'm friends with a number of players on the WTA tour. Um, there's a lot of eye rolling at this point about Naomi Osaka. Just the basic idea that you know everybody who's at this stage of their careers, who's playing in front of masses of fans, has had to undergo a lot of hardship and a lot of toughness needs to have been created by that. And I think, you know, I'm not meaning to come off insensitive because if you go back and listen to to the words I said at the time, even the words I wrote at the time, some of which appeared on Eurosport and other various platforms, it was very, very, very much in defense of Naomi's right to step back her absolute, um, you know, justification in asking for sensitivity in space. And I and I think that there's a lot about that that I would stand behind. I think also a year later, with everybody and specifically some of these Grand Slam tournaments trying to make a bit of an accommodation in terms of having a dialogue that feels constructive, but also allows the media to write and talk about the sport in a way that is additive, yeah. um, there, there's a little bit that she's not holding up her end of the bargain, if yeah, I can I be totally honest. No, I totally and I, and I, I agree with and that. And I, I feel like that. that's that's sort of where we are at this moment. Yeah. I, you know, I was yeah. I was frankly really rubbed the wrong way by her um, conversation about Wimbledon yesterday, not because I feel like she owes anybody anything in terms of playing, and I know it's not her favorite surface, but it is it is a deep irony that, again, the, the woman who is head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of sponsorships, um, who's selling the sport, who's selling herself uh, as a champion, doesn't want to contend for a championship. And, you know, say what you will about the the All England Club's ban on Russian and Belarusian players. I've also said plenty about that. I don't agree with it. That said, if you're going to miss out on a chance to hold the Venus Rosewater dish for reasons that don't appear to be political, but rather just because you'd rather not, uh, that feels, again, sort of like a dereliction of duty. Mm. Yeah, I, I have to say, I feel like there have been a ton of contradictions uh, right the way through with Osaka and uh, questions about her personal life, fine, but then uh, she invites people into her personal life, admittedly on her own terms and with her own behind the scenes uh, pieces. So I, I think it's probably very difficult for journalists to know, well, can I ask this? Can I not ask this? And, you know, it's interesting you cited the gender of a bunch of journalists, like as a male journalist, are you even more uh, withheld in what you can even dare ask just by dint of your gender? I mean, can female journalists talk to male players, but male journalists can't talk to female players? It'd be 
a question I'd have. And then even take her Wimbledon point. So on the one hand, and this is what you, you see, I don't think anyone in that room would dare put up their hand and say this to her because they just don't want the world to rain down on them and say you're a bully or whatever adjective you could use. But so on the one hand, she's saying, I would love to go and get some experience on grass. Is, is, that's a, a quote. And then she's also saying of the fact that there's no ranking points. Uh, I don't want to say it's pointless, no pun intended, but I'm motivated by ranking points going up. And so which is it? Like you're saying, I, I, on the one hand, I, I, I would love to go and get some experience on grass. On the other hand, I only want to go where my ranking points are going to go up and it's real business. It's completely muddled thinking, you know, and, and you'd love someone to put their hand up and say, Naomi, those two things don't stack up together. And, and even the points you made about her not going are very fair as well. So the, there just is a degree of, of nervousness around Osaka, Osaka, which is understandable. But um, I don't know, I, I, I'm not shocked to hear the eye rolling at the same time. Yeah, I think a lot of players are sort of feeling like it's um, a bit of a... I mean, I'm, I'm quoting to directly that I've talked to a bit of a, a sideshow. It's a bit of a, you know, I, and I think I heard in her response, uh, you know, she thinks the intention is good, but it's, it's not executed very well. And I think you could probably make the case that that's what she herself, certainly in withdrawing from the French Open without consulting with anybody, with some of the boycotts she's had in the past, which I think were for the right reasons, but left, you know, everybody sort of scrambling. Um, and now with this sort of half-baked statement, like, as you said, is it for the points or is it because you're um, you're trying to get experience, those things don't jibe? The other thing is if she was really interested in ranking points, she would play week-in, week-out tournaments the way that the rest of the tour is doing. Mm. You know, I think part of, and this gets back to the obligation, and which is why I quoted Billie Jean King last summer with with the idea that part of the, I think, contract of being an athlete in this sport, and you don't have to agree with the sport, there's a lot of governing bodies, not everybody is in accordance uh, and in agreement about big picture issues at the moment, which is, you know, unfortunate. But I also think part of being a contender in this sport and reaping the benefits of it, which go well beyond the court's bounds, they go well beyond trophies and prize money, it's notoriety. It's the ability to do other things. It's the ability to have investments in your name. It's the ability to create your own agency, as she has just done mm. with her agent who'd left IMG to do this with her. You know, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, you do have an obligation to promote the game and to promote the idea that you're um, part of something larger than yourself. And I think with somebody who strikes me as having always had their eye on the big picture, somebody like Venus Williams, who contended for Wimbledon hours after meeting with the All England board, talking about why women deserved equal prize money, which came a week after she published an op-ed in the Times of London. This is somebody who put their money where their mouth was, went out, entertained the fans, got the broadcasters, played arguably what is one of the greatest finals of all time, men or women, against Lindsay Davenport in that Wimbledon final. And she did it on the back of advocating for the entirety of the women on the tour and making the case publicly that this should happen, which helped to promote the game and the women playing within it. And so I look at somebody like that and think, oh, wow, what vision? Same with Billie Jean King, obviously. She wasn't just interested in having the women be able to have their tour and their travel and their pay somewhat resemble what the men were getting. It was the broadcast appearances. It was the exhibitions. It was the the behind the scenes. It was the signing autographs. And I think, you know, when I look at... um, 
the sort of body of athletes who are contending for these titles and, and playing for the sport, I think there's a real variance in love of it and ability to, I think, do, you, you don't have to be in front of, you don't have to be on all the billboards and you don't have to be in front of the crowds. But if you don't do the, let the racket do your talking for you and you don't do that other thing, then what are you doing? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's unclear to me at this moment in time. And I'm happy to be wrong about this because like I said, I've defended this girl um, left, right and center. Um, but I also think at a certain point it's, you know, if you don't like playing tennis, which it's not clear if she likes playing very much at the moment and you're not really in interested in promoting it and talking about it the way that Amelie Moresmo, for example, has gone from being a champion on the court to now an advocate and a tournament leader. It's hard to imagine Naomi Osaka wanting to do that. Nobody could falter for it, but you have to do something, especially if you're going to be in the headlines every week promoting a new product or wearing a new patch on your kit or announcing some new off, you know, crypto partnership or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, it's sort of at, at this point, I think there's a there's a basic sort of job requirement that that requires that you you give something back to the game. And if you're not interested in doing that, then, you know, you've certainly made enough money to retire. Mm. I mentioned the Indian Wells incident. This was in March. It seems somebody shouted after the opening game, you suck, Naomi. And she broke down in tears on the court. I think overwhelming support from the vast, vast majority of the crowd there. But she, she did break down and she was upset. So, look, she's still, you know, she probably always will be, I guess. She's, she's a fragile uh, person and, and, and maybe this will just be the way and um, so be it. I mean, it's not um, it's not the worst crime in the world either. You no, know? certainly and, not. You certainly know, not. I, I, this just may be the way it is and uh, everyone's different and there's a place for that too. Because I have to say, <laughs> anytime I hear her talk, um, and like people can go on and look at her on Ellen from a couple of years ago. She had two appearances there. She's incredibly likable and, and yeah. charismatic in her own way and very real in her own way. And, you know, I, 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 I'm massively like for her and like her. Um, it, it was just more the Wimbledon thing caught our ears yesterday and it didn't quite stack up. Hence, we thought we'd we'd check in with you. Well, I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk about tennis in any context, mm. but especially Naomi Osaka, because I share your view. We let her get it, guest edit a an issue of the magazine last year because we thought she had so many insights into so many different uh, worlds and she was bringing them together. And I stand by everything that we did and I, and I stand by her as a player and a human being. She's a fascinating person and I hope whatever she does, her heart is in it. I think that to me is the only thing. It's, it's, it's you hope that at the end of the day, my favorite athletes, the folks that I really, really love to watch and connect with and the ones that we try to highlight the most in the magazine and other things that we do are the folks who look like they are having a good time. Not there because some parent pushed them into it, not there because their sponsors have obligated them to it, because at the end of the day, they're playing a game for their own enjoyment and for our entertainment. And I think if tennis can't be that for her, Hmm. if the sport can't be that for the athlete, then it's time for a reassessment, right? It's sure it's a job and sure it's professionally and sure that they take it very seriously in the training and the regiments and all that. And that's great. But I think at the end of the day, you don't owe us wins, but you owe yourself enjoyment. And if that's not what you're having, then then do everybody, yourself, your agents, your fanship a favor and, you know, take a beat and, is, maybe, is and the, maybe do something else. Is there a sense that she will walk away? I think after the U.S. Open, when she said she was contemplating taking 
she wasn't sure how much tennis she was going to play in her future. I took that at face value. I was actually kind of surprised to see that her break didn't last longer. Um, She looked very, very, very unhappy at the tournament in a way that made me think existentially, not just, oh, somebody's in a funk or somebody's not playing well. You know, everybody's had that in their life when they have some ups and downs and, you know, we always will. That said, if you're at the top of the game with money literally piling in and there's no connection between your sort of day-to-day joy and the thing that you're doing, and I don't want to, you know, armchair psychologizer or any athlete really, but if there's at the end of the day, not that love for it, there's plenty of things that she's able to do with her life that don't require her to be unhappy. And I think with the sense that I had watching her play last summer, and frankly, ever since I've seen her play, it hasn't, it hasn't felt like she's needed. She came back too soon or she, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really want to be out there. And I think it's, it's sort of evident, which is why it's ironic that, you know, she's endorsing a new product every week. It's sort of like, ah, man, give this girl a break. You know, (laughs) does she even want to be doing this? Mm. Who's this for, Mm. you know? Uh, Caitlin, one last very quick point, and it's not even a quick issue, but th- you mentioned the Wimbledon ranking points, ATP uh, not agreeing with the Wimbledon decision to ban Russian and Belarusian uh, players. Uh, how has this been received amongst the playing fraternity at large? It's interesting. Yesterday's Naomi Osaka announcement that she wouldn't necessarily play, she hasn't said she's not going to, but that she was considering not playing, was really the first high-profile um person's announcement that they might not play there's been a, a there's been some chatter like Novak Djokovic doesn't agree with it I think maybe Andy Murray also I'm not sure if I have that right but yeah, I think I think you do been, I think you do there's been a few players I mean I myself don't agree with it I think if if Wimbledon really wanted to punish Russia and Belarus they could get rid of all the Russian and Belarusian money that are in pro tennis and that event specifically, this strikes me as being performative, especially for a bunch of athletes that have very, very little to do with either regime. And also, where does it end? Are we going to punish China for having an autocratic government? Are we going to punish Israel for, you know, essentially creating an apartheid state in the Middle East? You know, I, I, I or what about the U.S. for illegally invading Iraq? Like, where, you know, where, where, where does that sort of begin and end? Yeah. Uh, you know, the U.K. for colonialism. You know, that said, um, I think the players have largely come to understand that their own tours are not quite as powerful as Wimbledon, which still remains the single biggest entity in tennis, at least from a money-making perspective. And I think as we're about to see from a power perspective. So we haven't seen as many defections as I would have suspected. Who knows that might be in the near future. We're currently in the middle of one grand slam and we'll turn our attention to the next, probably more after it's done. Um, But I wonder And I also think this has something to do with the way that Naomi Osaka is perceived on the tennis tour, which is, I don't know that Naomi Osaka was seen, her comments yesterday were seen as being linked to a political stand or even a boycott on behalf of points. I think a lot of folks, like I said, who who I talk to on the tennis tour pretty regularly have sort of contextualized her conversations as being sort of personalized in a way that doesn't really relate to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's how I think it's probably best taken, which is not necessarily as something that is, well, as she said it herself, probably well well intended, but poorly executed. Like, I don't think it necessarily has to do with any sort of thoughtful political stand that's con- consistent and coherent. I think it probably is just she doesn't really feel like playing. Hmm. And, and U- 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 U.S. Open aren't going to follow suit, are they? Hard to say. I doubt it. Uh, but, you know, I think if, if this were to be a... Um, politically sort of unified 
front among the slams, it would be probably the first time that that had ever happened. So it's not impossible, but uh, it's certainly improbable. Listen, always really good chatting to you. Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you.